Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers 4DC. This is Arun Sudharman, um, the editor of The Homes Report, and I'm joined on the Echo Chamber podcast today by Jim Joseph, who is CEO of Conan Wolf Americas. Jim, welcome back to the show. Great to be here. Um, so this is becoming a bit of an annual tradition for us now, I guess. It is our Super Bowl marketing podcast. We did this last year, and it was a lot of fun, so we're going to do it again. Awesome. Enjoy it every time. Uh, you are, I think, a bit of an expert when it comes to Super Bowl marketing. You do a, a kind of immersive Twitter experience with all of your followers, uh, you know, running the rule, uh, rating and reviewing all of the marketing and advertising. Uh, I'm always struck by how popular the marketing and advertising is uh, compared to the actual game. Uh, you you don't watch the game, do you? You just you just watch the ads. Honestly, I really don't. During the during the ads, I cook and tweet and uh, you know do my do my little things, and then I jump back in when the commercials come on. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you missed much this year, actually. So I I don't think so either, based on all the uh, Monday morning quarterbacking. Right and. And funnily enough, it seems like the marketing and advertising this year was also a little bit underwhelming. Is that fair? That was certainly the sentiment. And that's what I love about doing these Twitter parties, because it's not, not so much you know my point of view, but it's the collective point of view of uh, a lot of people that are in the industry and a lot of consumers and a lot of just marketing and brand lovers. So I get to hear the collective comments, and that's really kind of what I then report on. Mm-hmm. And in, in general, people were pretty underwhelmed. Um, we were lacking, I think, inspirational messaging. We were lacking kind of creativity that moves you as opposed to just sort of um, excites you for a moment. Uh, there was a, a general sentiment that it was a, a bit disappointing. Mm. Do you think this is a sign of a broader trend or is it just a one-off? I think it's a one-off. I, mm. I think the last couple of years, brands that kind of stuck their neck out got got slapped a little bit in the, in the court of social media. So mm. folks went a little safe mm. and they, they stayed away from, you know, larger messaging. They stayed away from messaging that might be polarizing and they seem to stick more to their products, which doesn't necessarily make for uh, engaging content necessarily in and of itself. Right. <clears throat> Now, last year, you pointed to the rise of the, of the dad as one of the, uh, the kind of marketing themes to emerge from the Super Bowl work. What, what were the things that stood out to you this year, and what do they say about the culture? Ah, you know, this year there really wasn't an overriding theme. Mm. It, it seemed to be mu- much more of a mixed bag. Um, there were a couple spots with dads in it, but that certainly wasn't an overall theme. Uh, parenting wasn't an overall theme. I had predicted up front that kind of world unity was going to be an overall theme, and that didn't really play out. Hmm. And I think that's in part why it didn't really resonate with folks, because there wasn't an overall theme and there wasn't a larger takeaway um, that people were rallied around. And I think that's a bit of a problem. And and I think we've all come to expect that from Super Bowl advertising because that's the crescendo of of the year and it's the one time where everybody shines and unites and gathers around and it just never happened. Mm, right, okay. So what did, I mean, even allowing for the fact that there was no kind of one unifying theme this year, um, were there any, I suppose, smaller trends that stood out to you? 
I mean, there were a couple public service messages which were which were really well done. Mm. Bud Budweiser did uh, "Don't Drink and Drive," which certainly isn't a new message, but they put a new twist on it with Helen Mirren, which yes, yes. which really resonated with people. Mm. Uh, Colgate had a spot that was not about their products at all, mm. but about saving water. The NFL had a spot about domestic violence, which is certainly an issue that um, is very near and dear to to their brand, if you will. So yes. there were some pockets of really nice public messaging and pockets of brands that stepped away from their own products and stepped away from kind of pushing their own products and did have kind of a more um, more of a message that, to help people, which was which was nice. Sure. Um... How about this kind of yearning for nostalgia? Was that a theme at all? Um, you know, we saw some of the some of the ads with classic music from, you know, David Bowie and Queen and so on. Yes, yes. In fact, I, I've commented on that a couple different times that mm. there was there was a yearning for some heritage and some nostalgia. Again, we didn't necessarily see it. Uh, there were a couple different spots. There was an Audi spot, certainly uh, that you referenced that that mm -hmm. featured David Bowie. Um, but what was interesting is in the commentary throughout the game. I kept hearing people say, I can't wait to see the Clydesdales, and I can't mm. wait to see this, and I can't wait to see that. And they were looking for the traditional stuff that comes every year, and, and it didn't come this year, not to, not to keep bringing that up. But people mm. were really yearning for it. You know, I think the Super Bowl has become a family tradition, and there are certain traditions that people look for to kind of celebrate. Right. And that was, yeah. a missing, that was a missing element as well. Sure, they want that familiarity, I guess. You know. Right. Um, what about uh, humor? Anything stand out to you? Any 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 spots that made you laugh? There there was a, there were a few that really kind of got people chuckling. Uh, Doritos never disappoints. Mm. You know, they they do such an amazing job with the crowdsourcing creative and getting consumers to vote, which are the best. And and the two that made it on air this year um, with the dogs and with the um, the ultrasound really got people chuckling and, and got a lot of really great positive response. Uh, Skittles got very positive response. Snickers, um, while it was kind of polarizing the, the puppy baby monkey or monkey baby puppy or whatever, mm, <laughs> whatever yeah. order that goes in, you know, that got a lot of attention and, and it, it, not everybody loved it, but it got a lot of attention and it got a lot of chuckles. Um, so, you know, humor delivers. I think it wasn't universally, you know, a rolling on the floor laughing kind of a year. Right. But there were there were definitely a few standouts that got people smiling. Right. Do you feel like maybe the bar is just too high now? Because we're, we're in this social media era. Everyone's going to respond immediately now on Twitter to every ad. You know, it's the era of the hot take, the instant response. Does that Does that mean... Um, that that people are just going to be more disappointed with the ads than they might have been, say, I don't know, ten years ago. I think so. I think so. I think that the bar is very high. We make it very high based what you just said because we were able to comment it for so long. But also, mm. it's just not it's not as new anymore. You know, mm. ten years ago, fifteen years ago, this was fresh and it was new and it was exciting. And it's hard every year to top yourself. And, you know, that's why you see a brand like Snickers that has really stuck to their campaign and you're not yourself campaign. Mm -hmm. And they've gotten a lot of credit for it. They just have they've stuck to their messaging and they've stuck to who they are and they stand out as a result. Uh, they don't try to better themselves. They're 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 kind of already there. And I think that's very smart. 
Uh, but I agree with you. I, I think it's getting tough to um, to win people over in that environment because the expectations are just gigantic. Sure. And last year, one of the things you said, uh, as I recall, was that on their own, these ads are, are generally you know ineffective given how much you have to spend. Um, the return on investment is debatable, but it's only when you bring in the kind of digital marketing strategies around them that they become more well-rounded. Is that did you did you see that uh, this year as well? Do you feel like that's advanced in any way in terms of how you know there there yeah please go on there was a lot of commentary about that actually mm-hmm. on on my uh, my little Twitter party but also um, before and and after there didn't seem to be a lot of brands that were really taking advantage of um, social surround sound you know there right. were a couple hashtags and and certainly you know all the brand analysts were tracking impressions on you know pre pregame and post game on YouTube. I mean, there was all of that happening, but you didn't see a lot of brands actually utilizing social media to engage people and to create a dialogue and to get commentary. They were using social media to post their commercials, but they weren't necessarily using social media to engage. Insurance uh, hmm. certainly did, and and they did right from the very beginning, but. They were one of the very few brands that, in my mind, were really using the vehicles to drive not just view, viewership of the ad, but actual engagement in, in the brand. Um, is, 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 the, is the war room dead, the social media war room? No, not at all. Not mm. at all. I think there was, there was a lot of that kind of activity, real-time activity. Mm. Yeah. In fact, you saw a lot of brands commenting on each other's activity, which was really interesting. Right. Okay. The beer brands were kind of duking it out. The car brands were kind of duking it out in a very fun-loving, friendly, competitive kind of kind of way. Sure. So that, that was all clearly happening in war rooms. Mm. But that wasn't necessarily generating consumer engagement. Right. You know, it was nice banter to follow, and it did increase awareness, and it got people maybe to view the ads again, or, or maybe they wouldn't have noticed it otherwise, mm. but that's different than consumer engagement. It, it's smart banter, but I, I think they could have done even more. Right. I mean, what, what would you advise uh, a brand spending, <clears throat> excuse me, a brand spending on Super Bowl advertising to do, given that it seems like there's a lot of noise on social media, but it's not necessarily, um, you know, saying anything. Right. I, I think that brands view the Super Bowl as a way to get kind of instant broad scale awareness mm-hmm. and in, instant broad scale recognition or instant broad scale uh, reminders that your their brand is around if they're if they're a long standing equity brand and i don't actually think that that's the right objective yes you're going to get awareness because the viewership in the audience is gigantic but i actually think that it should be viewed as that that piece of advertising is merely a way to spark engagement it's it's a moment in time where you can get people to notice and engage. Rather than get people to notice and become aware, I think it should be get people to notice and engage mm-hmm. and somehow dive into the brand and and become a part of the dialogue and have an opinion and share it and ask questions. And that's what should spark from the Super Bowl, not just, well, I thought that ad was funny and then the people people move on. Yeah. And why do you think that doesn't happen? Because it, it, you know, it doesn't. It seems like that's the kind of thing that brands have been moving towards for for a number of years. Yes, 
You know, that's a really good question because it, it seems rather obvious. Mm. Um, it's, it's a lot of work, but it seems rather obvious. I think part of the problem is that many organizations are still very siloed. And the, the development of the advertising is done kind of in one chamber. And, and then a lot of the marketing is done in, in another. And mm. I think that so many brands focus on what's my creative for that 30 seconds or 60 seconds. And they're so caught up in the creative that they forget about that that should really just be a platform for mm-hmm. further, further engagement. And I think until we start to see more and more brands embrace that and then everybody sort of notices the trend and follows, um, it's going to be just discussion and, and don't you think we should as opposed to real activity. Sure. Um, and finally... What was your personal favorite spot? My personal favorite spot was Axe. Oh, okay. And I had seen it ahead of time in the previews. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think it's it's really, it might even be the only one, but it certainly was one of just a few ads that had a true insight buried in their messaging. Mm-hmm. And it came through loud and clear in the creative. And it was all about telling guys you know, young adult guys, to just be who you are. You know, you've got your own magic. You are your own person. You don't need to live up to other people's standards. Just be your own magic. And I thought that that was such an uplifting message. It was done so on brand for acts, so they didn't change who they were. You know, although they evolved the messaging from sort of, you know, manly manhood to be your own kind of man. So mm. there was an evolution of the message, but it was still on brand and it was mm. still from them. And it had such a great insight. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, my, my favorite was probably the, uh, the Pantene one, the PNG, um, yes. one with the, with the dads doing their daughter's hair. I mean that, you know, as someone who has to, to do my own daughter's hair. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I could sympathize. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I could definitely sympathize with that, but while it was good, it wasn't kind of, you know, a transcendent advertising experience right. at all. Um, Although what what they did very, very smartly was that was just one of many episodes that they've produced mm. and are all and are all online and, and actually much longer uh, versions of it. So great example of they actually created a lot of content and have been distributing and marketing that content. And they just used the Super Bowl as one way to distribute one piece of content. Right. And I think that's very smart and, and very in keeping with the sort of marketing du jour, which is all about content marketing. Sure. Jim, thank you so much as always. Um, and we we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Talk to you soon. It's Arun Sudhaman here with the Echo Chamber podcast. Uh, and we're joined in the studio today by Matt Stigzalius, who is the founder of Takumi which is a platform that connects brands with Instagram influencers. So, Matt, welcome to the Echo Chamber show. Thanks for having me. Uh, tell us a little bit about Takumi, because it's actually a platform I've been hearing about in agency circles. Um, obviously, Instagram influencers and YouTube influencers are increasingly big business these days. Um, so why have you kind of come up with this idea to connect brands with those types of influencers? So we specifically aim to connect uh, micro-influencers with brands. So we define a micro-influencer as anyone with um, over a 1,000 organic followers. Um, Mm -hmm. Historically, brands and agencies have been able to work with celebrities and larger influencers 
through manually recruiting them and and um, um, creating campaigns with them on a one-by-one -one basis. Mm -hmm. And we felt that the smaller influencers had always been left out of this opportunity, uh, even though they have an incredibly high engagement with their follower base because of their small size, it, it was difficult for brands to work with them. And we wanted to use technology and create a platform where we would be able to connect those two uh, groups together. So brands and the smaller influencers. Mm -hmm. But if, if you are a brand that's used to maybe spending a lot of money on a celebrity endorser, you know, a David Beckham or whoever, what's the appeal of, of these micro influencers that maybe only have a thousand followers? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. I think if you look at the sort of millennials and um, the younger generation, um, the teens, the 20 year olds, uh, they are getting their influence from um, everyday uh, influencers rather than celebrities so much. So I think, you know, um, I'm 38 and I used to be a big Michael Jordan fan and that was my sort of um, celebrity icon that, you know, inspired me. Whereas I think the younger generation is inspired by a broader group of smaller influencers. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I think is really interesting is that um, these smaller influencers have a very high engagement rate compared to celebrities. So we actually analyzed this. We did a, a sample of half a million Instagram accounts and looked at the uh, engagement rate of posts of, uh, of different people based on their follower count. And it won't surprise anyone that, you know, your friends and family pretty much like anything you post. So very high engagement rate. And it steadily drops the higher your follower count is, all the way to a point if you're a celebrity with hundreds of thousands of followers, you end up at sort of one and a half to two percent engagement rate. Whereas if you're a micro influencer, you're uh, having engagement rates of double that. So three, four percent. So um, brands should find that interesting because it gives them an opportunity to have much higher engagement with the with the audiences than by using celebrities. Mm. And presumably it's maybe more cost effective than the, the big sums that are often shelled out for celebrities. It is. Yeah. I don't think these micro influencers are doing it to, you know, get rich. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the typical payments that we see are, you know, ranging from 40 pounds to say 150, 200 pounds. And some of them have, even have tens of thousands of followers. So I think the, the sort of payments that you would make are smaller. But um, for that, you also get that higher engagement rate. So say if a celebrity had a million followers and you got together a group of smaller influencers with a collective following of a million, you'd get nearly twice the engagement. So therefore, mm -hmm. sort of twice the value in that sense. Mm, okay. You said you don't think it's going to make people rich necessarily. I mean, is that a is that something that some maybe these Instagrammers don't want to hear? I mean, are they looking to get rich? I don't think they're looking to get rich. Uh, don't get me wrong. I think they appreciate, um, you know, being able to earn something from it. But because they are not celebrities, they're not going to be um, earning huge amounts by doing it. They are really much more excited from what we see by the opportunity to be able to work with these brands, which they previously couldn't mm -hmm. because of their limited size. So it gives them an opportunity to really interact with their favorite brands. Mm -hmm.
And the rise of the Instagram influencer and, you know, even the YouTube influencer, it's a fairly new phenomenon, I think, probably yeah. the last few years, um, fueled by social media, obviously. What have you learned from working with them? Are there mistakes that they make when they're working with brands? So some of them, um, uh, the, 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 the ones who are really good at what they do spend a lot of effort on, um, you know, thinking about the posts and planning it and doing it. Um, and some other influencers, they probably um, don't put enough effort into it and therefore the, the quality suffers and and results in a poor experience for the followers. So I think that um, one of the big lessons is that, you know, it's an art form practically. So that the you the effort you put in gets rewarded back out in terms of increased following, increased engagement and 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 so forth. So um it's like with anything I guess that um higher quality um influencers create better quality posts and grow bigger etc. So um I don't know if that's a learning as such but mm-hmm. sure. So in terms of the the brands themselves, meanwhile, I mean, presumably there's a lot of brands that are dipping their toes in here uh, and maybe haven't worked with these type of people or these types of influencers. Uh, what are the mistakes that you see brands making when they want to, uh, I guess, get, get good returns out of these types of campaigns? So that's a really interesting question, actually. One of the, So I think brands have historically been very protective of their brand and, you know, used to sort of brand guidelines and things like that. And when you're on social media and working with influencers, I think you have to let go a little bit and you have to allow that creative expression Mm -hmm. from those influencers to make sure that their tone of voice talking about your brand is theirs. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so the mistakes we see is that the brands are too descriptive in their campaign requirements mm. or briefs, and the really good ones are actually um, quite uh, willing to um, leave it broad in terms of the, the campaign objectives and so forth, and allowing the influencers to use their creativity to express it. Right, so letting go of control is yes. important. And it's a hard thing to do, though. <laughs> very hard. Um, especially for some of these big companies. I mean, are there any examples of brands you, that you think have got it right? So uh, we've we've uh, done a couple of campaigns with Itsu, yeah. for example, sure. and they uh, do fantastic briefs. They mm-hmm. really got it. Um, I guess it's a progressive brand anyway, mm-hmm. uh, really good at understanding their customers and, and also good at social media. So... Mm-hmm. I would think that they are a good example of a brand that is willing to let go and is reaping the benefits as well. Yeah. T- tell me a little bit more about some of these Instagram influencers because I think there's a lot of interest there. Sometimes you see them on stage at various you know industry events and yeah. so on. You see the YouTube stars. I mean, they're kind of becoming brands in their own right. Are they difficult to deal with at all? Are they high maintenance? Do they have handlers? They don't. No. They, um, at least the ones we deal with, they, are, they tend to be... Um, you know, normal people. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a a passion of theirs, a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, grew their follower base organically. They have something to say that, you know, created that following in the first place, and they're just passionate about it. And mm-hmm. um, 
so no they're really lovely people and really easy to work with and I guess uh, they haven't gotten too big for their shoes yet so. <laughs> <laughs> well maybe that will come but maybe. Um, and it's all I mean is it it's all kind of fairly black and white because you sometimes you hear about uh, some of the some of these influencers buying followers I mean is that something that you come across yeah um, unfortunately we do we see it quite often actually um, so we uh, vet anyone coming onto our platform mm-hmm. very carefully we in fact have a three-stage process to qualify people and um, there are ways to buy followers there's even ways to buy engagement mm. so you have to be quite careful even if you're not using a platform like Takumi if you do choose to manually recruit these influencers you have to uh, very carefully vet their follower base and to make sure that you are actually getting what you think you're getting mm-hmm. um, having said that uh, that would uh, be a disservice to many many influencers who have purely organic following and are doing a great job and deserve to have that following so um and we only allow those people onto the platform. And therefore, that sort of quality assurance is, I think, key to the credibility of, you know, the sort of influencer space as a whole. Sure. And, and I mean, I guess if we're sticking with this, this area of, of, of the ethical concerns um, around some of this, how much fear is there around this whole idea of brands um, essentially paying people? to post because that's what it comes down to and obviously I guess there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's open and transparent but it does seem like there's a certain amount of wariness. Yeah I think brands historically they've been okay with you know paying for professional services and paying celebrity spokespeople etc but there's been awareness of um, you know paying for these smaller influencers to for their um, support or so their campaign contributions and if anything, they've perhaps been given uh, free products, etc. I think that's doing a disservice to these influencers because they are um, professional, high quality, they're incredibly creative, um, and they are providing a valuable service to those brands. And mm. um, the brands shouldn't view it as sort of paying to change someone's opinion and therefore to be inauthentic to their followers. They they will only work with brands that they genuinely believe um, they like and that their followers would find interesting. So, mm-hmm. um, but what you're paying for is that, you know, the creative, professional, uh, quality post mm-hmm. um, that has taken a lot of time and effort to compose and to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think brands, hopefully, over time, will come to see that, that just same as... Um, you're willing to pay for other professional uh, services and and larger influencers, you should consider doing that same for the smaller influencers who are Mm -hmm. equally dedicated to to doing a good job. Mm. And is it clear to the the followers that these are um, posts that are being paid for by a brand? Yeah, so some campaigns will mention it outright, so Mm -hmm. hashtag SB, hashtag ad, hashtag sponsored... Um, others will use phrases like thank you at brand mm. X, Y, and Z. Um, some influencers um, and brands choose not to be explicit about it. Mm. But, um, and I think that it's important that 
um, both influencers and brands are as as transparent and uh, and clear as they can be. Mm-hmm. We as a platform do not um, uh, dictate whether they have to enforce that or not, mm-hmm. uh, but we we obviously encourage everyone to be as transparent as possible. Mm. At the same time, we did do a survey on this uh, two months ago where we asked uh, consumers how they felt about sponsored posts. Um, And interestingly, 75% of them said that having a post by an influencer with a a tag Mm -hmm. uh, saying SP or sponsored, 75% 75 of them were um, not negatively influenced by that at all Mm. and they still enjoyed the consumption of that post just as much as they would have without it so Mm. i don't think ultimately it would even matter if Mm. all the posts had that yeah mention it wouldn't but you think that's the concern on the brand side they're worried some some of them are worried that if they put that if they make it clear it's sponsored then people won't be interested and i think that's the sort of misconception i think the reality is that um, you know, consumers and followers are smart people. Um, yeah. They they can already see that. So, mm. in a way, there's no harm in, in yeah. including it anyway. So, surely it's uh, it's a bigger problem if consumers feel they're being um, hoodwinked or you know in in some in some way that a post that is is apparently real is actually sponsored. I mean, that seems like a bigger risk. Yeah, I agree. I I think um, in most cases, uh, even if it's not explicitly mentioned, it's very clear that there is a partnership or participation between the brand and the influencer. Mm-hmm. I think if you're trying to hide that fact, that's the worst outcome possible. So I think mm-hmm. either you need to be um, very transparent about it um, in terms of the post, or or um, you know, increasingly, I think everyone will get comfortable using these tags anyway. So sure. Um, the the your platform, it's, it, it's almost a, 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 a good example, I guess, of the, the way that technology is changing um, public relations and marketing. Um, how do you feel that this kind of a tool improves on, I suppose, the, the, the previous way this would have been done, which is for brands and or their agencies to, to just go out and, and find, um, find the right influences based on a combination of you know, instinct and luck. Yeah. So I think, uh, I mean, we speak to brands and agencies daily and um, generally the reaction is excitement that we exist because mm. we we genuinely save days and days of work from that social media team or the agency in finding these influencers and, and activating these campaigns and, and, you know, reporting on them and everything like that. So we're a, a time-saving tool first and foremost, if nothing else. Um, mm. And secondly, as I mentioned, I think there's a um, high level of um, risk in leaving it to sort of an ad hoc manual search for these influencers because um, you want to be certain that they're the right profile, um, that uh, they have organic following that's not bought. All of that sort of quality checking that goes into, um, for example, our platform, Um which you wouldn't have through a manual uh, recruitment method. So I think what we're bringing to the table is a technology-driven solution that makes the lives of agency teams and brands easier and providing a higher quality campaign because the influencers participating in that campaign um, provide higher quality posts. Mm. 
And shouldn't agencies be worried at all that you might replace them? So every agency we've spoken to so far sees us as an a, as a benefit rather than a threat. We're not there to usurp any of them. We're there to literally provide a tool mm-hmm. to help them and their clients. And um, yeah, we, we haven't had anyone, you know, um, saying otherwise when when we've met them. Okay. And you're look. at the moment you're just Instagram. Is that correct? Yes, just that's right. Instagrammers. I mean, what are the other platforms that you think are ripe in terms of influences? YouTube, presumably, is yeah. one, right? And yeah. So, so YouTube obviously has been really active in this sort of influencer space for you know two years. Mm. Thereabouts with Zoellas of the world. Yeah. Um, um, Vine is getting some sort of many celebrities already um right the vine king yeah exactly (laughs) um and then um obviously there's you know many accounts on twitter with very large followings Uh, snapchat is interesting but it's very Mm. challenging for brands to work with because there's just no easy way to collect data to see how well your campaign has done so Mm. until they fix that i don't think snapchat will be an obvious choice even though a lot of the sort of again the sort of younger demographics are going more and more towards Snapchat. Mm. Um, uh, uh, Pinterest, I think, is really, really interesting, actually. Um, So, you know, we started with Instagram because it's big, fast-growing, and very visual. So it's perfect for the sort of medium we were looking uh, to launch on. Mm. But ultimately, I think, you know, there are sort of half a dozen key platforms that are very valuable for brands and influencers to to mm. to be on and it, it's really all about the visual content yes i think um anything that's video led or or image led at the moment is the way to go in terms of um the sort of where the growth is on social media mm. okay so don't need michael jordan anymore we need we need zoella if we're a brand i guess so yes <laughs> or even the sort of mini zoellas <laughs> excellent <laughs> Great. Well, Mats, thank you so much for joining us uh, and good luck with everything. Great. Thank you for having me. Excellent. We will be back uh, in a week or so. Um, as always, you can uh, you can get in touch with us on our website, homesreport.com. Uh, you can email us. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, on Stitcher. Please do review us, Echo Chamber PR Show. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Marketeers 4DC for producing today's show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. 